Thank you. you. may be seated. It is uh, a privilege to also have a great children's ministry. And you see Miss Amy to my left and your right, if there are any kids that need to go that way. Uh, Some have probably already made it out to the hallway, but if you'll see Miss Amy. As children of God, it is uh, a privilege for us to be considered a part of the family of God. We are all recipients as family members of God. We are all recipients of the family name. And that is not a small reward in any way. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And as such, we are now a part of his royal family. I begin here today to point out that God has given each of us a very high honor. And to note that God has very high expectations for his people, for you and for me. What will you, what will I do with this honor? Will we live up to the expectations that he has for us? My hope, my prayer, as the answer to those questions is absolutely yes. Today, as we continue this series on the making of a king, I want us to take a look one more time at the life and the leadership of Solomon. I noted last week that he is arguably the second greatest king in the history of the Jewish people. That does not include Jesus, who was labeled king of the Jews as he hung on a cross. Instead, he is regarded as the second greatest king behind David, whom we focused on two weeks ago. He was a man after God's own heart. He was imperfect in many ways, yet he longed for intimacy with God, even repenting of his sin when it was exposed by God. He sent a prophet named Nathan who went and called him out on his sin, and David's response was to repent. I won't go into this too much right now, but There is another king that sometimes is viewed as the second greatest king among the people of Israel. His name was Josiah, and the argument could be made that he did more to bring God's people back to the Lord than any king before or after him. His father had been a horribly ungodly king, and it was only by God's mercy that Josiah took over as king before his father had actually influenced him too much. Josiah would take over as king at the age of eight, which means he hadn't been around his dad all that much. His life and reign, though, would certainly be meaningful to the people of God. But today I want us to talk about Solomon for a bit. Our primary text is going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 this morning, but you should also know that this story is recorded in two separate locations. The other is in 1 Kings chapter 3, and I will be going back and forth between these two passages today, but again, our primary text will be in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. The first thing that I want you to see today is that Solomon had an incredible heritage. We're not getting into the text yet. It's simply recognizing some of the background that is present for Solomon. He had an incredible heritage. I start here almost to contrast the example that I just gave you regarding King Josiah. Josiah had an ungodly father who was not worthy of imitation. Solomon had David. Listen to the first four verses 
from 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going to be all over the place. Listen to the first four verses of 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Although I mentioned that David was an imperfect man, for the most part, we see David as a man who had led very, very well. He was well respected by most, and the Lord had granted him many, many victories. He was as prosperous as probably anyone could have hoped. After all, remember that he was born into a shepherding family. What could people have expected of him? Did anyone expect great success? Actually, no. In fact, not even his own father or even his brothers could see what God might do. Yet God had done great things in and through David. Well, now we see David. We see that David is nearing his death. And this is kind of his last message to this soon-to-be king because Solomon is going to be taking over for David. And as David realizes, I'm about to go the way of everybody else, we all die, as this is probably the last time I'm going to be able to address you, I want you to know the most important things for you to keep. Now, I admit that I, I kind of laughed a little bit when I first read this passage he begins with a statement that would be considered politically incorrect by today's standards. He instructs his son to be strong, to act like a man. It's time to put on your big boy pants here. Those in our culture today might say that women can be strong too. What do you mean act like a man? I'll agree women can be strong too. But I will also add that David knew what would be required of a man in such a position because he had been there. You're about to lead these people. You're about to be the king and weakness will not work for you. So be strong, act like a man. Men, let me pause for just a moment and remind you of this call. If you are to be the kings, the leaders whom God has called you to be, then you must be strong. Ladies, this does apply to you as well. Maybe it's because I'm a guy and I have high expectations for my brothers though. But I also believe that men, you have a great responsibility to lead, to be strong. I believe it's biblical. Men, act like a man, be strong. What did David mean by being strong? Look at the verses that follow. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. 
Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. We're not talking about muscular definition. We're not talking about you need to get in the gym and work out. We're not talking about soldiers and what they might do with a sword and shield. We are talking about spiritual strength. Be strong. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands and laws and regulations. Do this and you will prosper. Let me just say that within this piece of instruction, we see the most important part of what it takes to become the type of king, the type of man, or even the type of woman that God longs for in you. Be faithful and obedient to the Lord, and then rely on God to grant you success and prosperity. It is the same thing that is expressed to Joshua as he is about to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He had never been the leader for the people of Israel. He had always walked in the shadow of Moses. But here you are about to take over. And he is told on three occasions initially, later on, there'll be a fourth time where the people of Israel will actually tell him, be strong and courageous. But on three occasions, Joshua is told, be strong and courageous. The second time that he's told, there's a little bit of emphasis. It's all in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and very courageous. And then these are the words that follow. Be careful to keep the law that Moses gave you, not turning to the right or to the left. There is this expectation that you're going to do great things. You're going to lead these people. You are going to win many battles. You are going to be a champion. But if you do not keep the law of Moses, you still fail. I'm going to tell you, regardless of anything else you hear today, my hope is that you recognize today that success is not about how much money you have in your account. It is not about how many people like you. It's not about how big a company you have. True success will be found in a right relationship with the Lord. Keeping the law of Moses, seeking him with everything that you have and everything that you are. Well, Solomon has seen this in his father. Solomon is hearing it taught to him by his dad. And there's little argument that he had all the heritage that he needed, all the pedigree to be the best king that Israel would ever have. I don't know if you noticed, we referred to him as the second, perhaps the second greatest king. In fact, I would suggest to you that not only did he have this great heritage, but it gets better. Listen to God's promise to Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Implied within this statement is, Whatever you ask for, I'm going to give it. Do you realize how awesome that must have felt for Solomon? The one individual who has everything at his disposal, God himself, declaring to Solomon, I will give you whatever you ask. It's a pretty generous offer on the part of God. 
And it begs the question as to why God would offer such generosity to Solomon. The only thing that I can figure is that God saw something in Solomon that was worthy of the Lord's blessing. In fact, listen to Solomon's response and you see something worthy of blessing. It's similar in both of our passages, but I especially like the way this one is worded in 1 Kings 3. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? I do want to switch back just for a moment to Second Chronicles chapter 1. I don't know if you catch that. There in 1 Kings chapter 3, it looks like we're a little more long-winded. First, Second Chronicles chapter 1, we read this. Give me wisdom and knowledge, that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon knows who he is. To begin with, he recognizes that the only reason I'm in this position is because you have honored my father. My father led well, and the truth is God had given a great promise. I will bless you and your descendants, speaking to David. Solomon knows who he is in this moment, but he also knows that he is going to need the Lord's help. He is basically saying that I'm just a boy, I'm just a kid, and I don't know how to lead these people. There's too many of them, and honestly, some of them are probably hard to deal with. How will I know how to deal with them, but they are your people. So God, would you give me wisdom? I want to take another detour for just a moment, and I want to apply this to each of us. It would appear that what made Solomon so ready for God's blessing was his humble heart. He knew who he was, but he also knew that he needed God's help. And so we must do the same. Know that you are first a child of the king. And you need to know that God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. But you cannot neglect the fact that you will always need God's help if you are to accomplish all that he has in store for you. God has been good to you. Take a moment and just consider all that he has done for you. So often we look and we kind of celebrate what we have and we think, look what I have accomplished. But the truth is, without the Lord, you have none of that. The Lord has been very good to you. Never forget, he's the one who made the goodness happen in your life. Far too many of us, we've kind of taken credit. Actually, I don't even know if I need God anymore. I'm in a good place. 
It's a dangerous place. So back to Solomon. The Lord had offered to give him whatever he asked, and Solomon asked for wisdom. Or to be more accurate, uh, to the original translation, Solomon actually asked for a listening heart. He doesn't want to make rushed decisions. He wants to be able to see beneath the surface. And with a listening heart, one will naturally display great wisdom. It's a part of why it is translated that way. Well, the Lord is so pleased with this response that he says to Solomon, I will give you more than you could ever imagine. In fact, listen to his response. Since this is your heart's desire... And you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will ever have. And man, did the blessings begin to flow. What a great moment this was. I won't read them all to you, but the verses that follow describe the blessings of God, which included many horses, chariots, all kinds of wood, but it's probably best summed up in the commentary about silver and gold. Verse 15 says, the king made silver and gold so common in Jerusalem. It said it made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. So think about that just for a moment. You walk outside and there are rocks everywhere. Silver and gold were as common as those rocks. It wasn't something that was limited to just one individual, but rather the entire kingdom would flourish because of the heart that we see happening within Solomon. It's a lot of blessing. Add to this the fact that other nations longed for the wisdom of Solomon. Kings would send envoys to just to watch Solomon rule, and everybody wanted some type of peace treaty with him. It's a part of how he ends up with 700 wives. Now, as I read about all of God's blessing, and as I hear about the incredible wisdom of Solomon, there is a part of me that wonders, how does Solomon only end up with second or third billing among the kings of Israel? I mean, the things that are being described here, they seem far greater than anything we see from his father, David. And most of us really know very little about Josiah. So who could consider him greater? How could Solomon become anything less than the greatest king that Israel had ever known? The answer is found in the fact that he didn't stay the course. Remember the words of his father who called him to be strong, be faithful to keep the laws and decrees of the Lord. Let me share with you some of what the law of Moses included. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20, as it addresses those who would serve as king to Israel. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, 
and have taken possession of it and settled in it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. Listen to this. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not concern himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. It would almost seem as if Solomon has completely disregarded everything that Moses had said. Deuteronomy, that is actually the law of Moses. That's the instruction that was given to the people of God. This is the way you must live. And looking at that passage, it almost seems as if Solomon looked at that passage and he said, I'm going to check this one off. I'm going to check this one off. I'm going to check every single thing that the king is instructed to avoid. It seems as if Solomon has decided to do. Solomon had become a symbol of what prosperity was about. And it would seem as if Maybe God had been too good to him. He became so accustomed to the blessing of God that he forgot who he needed to continually depend upon. Maybe he didn't need God anymore. I know that sounds crazy, but maybe we can relate better to this than we realize, at least here in the United States. We have been so blessed by God. We are among the most prosperous people in the world. And the more we prosper, the less we realize how much we need him. What's ironic is that those who seem to have no financial blessings, those who it seems as if maybe God hasn't given them as much, for so many without blessings, financial blessings, those who live in abject poverty are often the most reliant upon the Lord. So maybe we would be better off without the financial blessings that we have today. I know we pray for blessings. We pray that the Lord will give us all that we need and sometimes all that we want. We pray for those blessings, but the reality is once we get those blessings so often, we forget the one who blessed us. And it's such a dangerous place to be. Then again, the Lord gave Solomon those blessings. He promised him both wealth and honor. So maybe the real problem wasn't that he had too much blessing. Maybe the real problem was that he took his eyes off the Lord. I wonder, did he ever write on a scroll 
his own personal copy of the law of Moses as was instructed to him in Deuteronomy? Did he read it all the days of his life to protect himself from sin as the passage in Deuteronomy had instructed? I know that his father David did. He wrote in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But it would appear as if Solomon did not do the same. Years ago, when we ran an addiction recovery ministry at my church in Pennsylvania, each time an individual would find themselves back in addiction. Not everyone would go back to addiction, but unfortunately there were some who did. Each time they did, they could no longer stay. We had a, a recovery house for them to live in. But if, if they went back into their addiction, they could not stay in the house anymore. But we would do an exit interview with them to just find out where did you go wrong? What, what happened that caused you to fall back into your sin, into your addictive lifestyle? Without fail, every single one of the individuals that were interviewed as they were leaving would say something similar to this. Well, I stopped doing my devotions. I stopped reading the word every day. What happened was these little areas of compromise left themselves open to the point that now they found themselves right back into the sin that they knew was never acceptable. Listen to what happens as a result of Solomon's sin. As recorded in 1 Kings 11, verse 9 through 11, the Lord became angry with Solomon. Actually, we could stop right there, and that's enough for me. The Lord is such a gracious and good God. What kind of sin must have taken place that God would become angry? The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my decrees, and my covenant, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. I guess what is so confusing to me about this is that we often perceive Solomon as being a man of great wisdom. In fact, 1 Kings 3, we see that he will become wiser than any king to have ever lived. But you would think that if he were so wise, that he would also walk in obedience to the Lord. And I would just say that maybe that is not always true. What I've discovered is that wisdom and maturity in dealing with the world may not always mean wisdom and maturity in dealing with the Lord. An individual may have great work ethic and may be able to manage a business or a kingdom very, very well, but that does not mean that they will be spiritually mature. Or the reverse can also be true. An individual may be spiritually mature and full of godly wisdom, yet they may struggle with management skills in the world around them. Solomon was wise in the way that he managed the kingdom, 
but he chose to walk in disobedience to the Lord. And the result was that he could no longer walk under the blessing of God. Again, I want to pause here for a moment to connect this to you and I. You may be great at dealing with people or doing your job. You may be full of tremendous worldly wisdom. But if you do not develop spiritual maturity, if you walk in disobedience to the Lord, you will eventually find yourself looking at God's blessing as a thing of the past. Like Solomon, you have everything that you need to be successful. You have everything that you need to be the best Troy, the best Linda, the best Paula, the best Clyde. You have everything that you need to be the individual that God created you to be. But if you walk in disobedience to the Lord, then you have settled for second best. And I want you to be successful. I want you to be great. I want you to have the wisdom that was available to Solomon. But if you choose to walk in disobedience, you will never be the person that God created you to be. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is a simple question. It may take a minute, so don't think I'm done. The last thing I want to share this morning is a simple question. What if? As we consider the story of Solomon, we see that his potential was through the roof. He had the wisdom to impress seemingly every other king. And we're not talking about random people who they've never had any type of training. We're talking about other kings, those who are leading others. And they're saying, man, we're doing a pretty good job, but it fails to compare to what Solomon's doing. Let's send somebody to find out how he's leading. And then hopefully we can learn. Y'all know the greatest example of Solomon's leadership, at least the example that is given almost immediately after this encounter where God says, I will give you this wisdom and wealth. There was the, la the two ladies who are basically fighting over a child, both of them making a claim that this child is mine and Solomon sits and he listens and he's got to be thinking to himself, y'all are crazy, but he knows there's more to it. One of the moms had had a child and that child had died and she was so brokenhearted. What she was doing was wrong, but he listened and he recognized that there was something that wasn't right in this story. He actually tells him, tell you what we're going to do. I can't tell if it's your child or if it's your child. So what we'll do is we'll just take this baby and we'll cut it in half and you'll get half the child and you'll get half the child. Well, the one woman, all right, I guess that's fair. I guess the idea there is if I can't have a child, then she can't have a child. Well, the other one immediately, no, 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 don't do that. And Solomon, in his wisdom, recognized that must be the true mother, the one who would never allow her own child to be killed. Solomon did lead with great wisdom. Solomon, he was impressive to these other kings. He was gifted to be able to inspire and inspired to write books like Lamentations and Ecclesiastes. And ironically, it was in Ecclesiastes where he notes that everything else in life is meaningless. 
without a right relationship with the Lord, yet here we are, we're talking about Solomon's downfall. But what if Solomon had retained his dependence upon the Lord? What if he kept that mindset at the very beginning where he said, I'm just a boy, I'm just a kid, I, I don't know how to lead these people, I need your wisdom. What if Solomon had retained his dependence upon the Lord? I ask that question not to point out what a loser Solomon became. Actually, the truth is the kingdom is not taken away from David's descendants until after Solomon dies. It wasn't about him being a loser. The reason I ask that question is to point out that there is great potential in each of us as well. The what if question is just a little bit different for you and I. His question was in the past tense, ours is in the present. What if I would fully surrender my life to Jesus Christ? What could God accomplish through me? Could God change the world through me? What if you fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and decided it's not going to be about anything but pleasing him? What could God accomplish through you? Maybe you've looked at your life and thought, well, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know that my life matters. I don't know that I've made a difference at all. You look and you say, well, I'm, maybe I'm too old to make a difference. And I suggest that if you are still here, this is still a present and future tense question. There is still the possibility that God might do something spectacular in and through you. But if you are not willing to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I ask the question, why would he? I am certain that a lot of us look at that what if question from a past tense perspective. We see where we've fallen short already. We recognize what we could have done when we were younger. We see the potential that once was and we cannot comprehend how God could still accomplish greatness after all that we've done. And I get it. Because for many of us, we have done things that they carry consequences. We have hurt other people. Sometimes even the people we love. We have made really foolish choices. We call it sin. We've done things that we know dishonor God. We have broken trust. How could God ever use me after what I've done? I have really good news for you today. God is an expert at taking broken things and making them whole. He is an expert at restoring purpose even after we seemingly have messed it all up. In fact, to illustrate that, let me remind you of the king by which all other Old Testament kings are so often compared. Remember David. I talked about him two weeks ago. He was an adulterer, a deceiver. He was a murderer. Surely God's blessing could not remain on him. Actually, it did. That doesn't seem fair when you think about it. David sinned, and he was able to continue under God's blessing. 
Solomon sinned and the Lord became angry with him. What made the difference? You know, there's a curious thing that's missing from the passage here in 1 Kings chapter 11, when clearly we're, we're talking about Solomon's sin, where God became angry with him because of the sin that was there. There's something missing. When David committed sin, he pleaded with the Lord for mercy. He sought forgiveness and he sought grace. Simply put, he demonstrated a repentant heart. There is no such repentant heart in the story of Solomon. So I ask you, what's the difference between what happened with David as opposed to what happened with Solomon? David was a man after God's own heart, but David had allowed sin to take place. And in response to that, when he recognized that his sin was being called out, he repented. Solomon hears of the anger of God it's almost as if he has resigned himself to it. Oh, well, that's the way it is. I bring you to this point because I want you to see that a repentant heart can change everything. I told you that God can still restore purpose and take us from being broken to being whole. But in order for that to happen, we will need a heart of repentance. Do you want to find out what if? Do you want to find out what God could do through you? Then it is time for you to surrender your life to him and his way. You've probably had a good education, most of you. You've probably been taught this is how to lead, this is how to act. But I'm telling you, if you are anything less than fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, you will never be the man or the woman that God called you to be. It's time for us to stop making excuses. It's time for us to stop blaming our past. And it's time for us to allow God to change who we are so that we can be the people he created us to be in the first place. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, there, there's something that's really heartbreaking in this passage. We see in Solomon that he had everything that he needed to be the greatest ever. But he never truly became the greatest ever. And it was all at his fingertips. It was there. When I look around this room this morning, and I see people who have the blessing of God resting upon their lives. They've been born into a free country where they're able to prosper in ways that other people around the world wish that they had. Some have moved to this country and they look and they recognize the opportunities that are there. Lord, we are so blessed. Many of us have a great heritage, a family model, an example of what we're supposed to look like. We have a church where we can gather and hear the word. But for many of us, we have settled and we have not truly taken hold of the promised blessing of God. Father, I pray today that where we have allowed sin to remain in our lives, 
that right now you would convict us of that sin and that from this moment forward, we would no longer be okay with that. We would no longer be okay with settling for second best. We want to know what if, what if we fully surrendered ourselves to you? Lord, I pray right now that each individual in this room would fully surrender their hearts to you and that you would do such incredible things through them that there would be no question but their God is the one who's doing it. Some of us carry great baggage. We have made poor choices. We have sinned. We have fallen into the trap of doing things that we know do not belong. Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive us of those sins. And I pray that from this moment forward, we would walk as those who have been redeemed by a holy God. Lord, I pray that the blessing of God would pour out on your people that you would do such great things through a people who have repented just as you did through David and just as you would have through Solomon. Lord, make us like David. I pray that you would give us a heart that says, God, I'm yours. Have your way in me. Father, I do pray that this church would be a world-changing church. Let it begin here in us today. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I challenge you with that what if question, and I just want to close with it once more. What if you were willing to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ? I can't tell you what he's going to do. But what I can tell you is his blessing is greater than anything you could work out on your own. So why not try it his way? What if we fully surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ? It is such a blessing to have each of you with us this morning, and it's a privilege to be able to have you each week. I will tell you, we have one more sermon in this series. We're going to take a look at a very ungodly example. We're going to look at Absalom next week. Absalom was the son of David that we would look at and say, wow, how do we go wrong? We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. So uh, thank you for being with us this morning. Come back and join us again.